Hey everyone, welcome to the sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont's location, where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. Today, we are going to look at the Lord's Prayer. What is the Lord's Prayer? Is it essential to remember? What does it mean to be given our daily bread? Join us as we look at the book of Matthew chapter 6 and find out what it means when we pray these words. Give us today our daily bread. And I pray that as you listen to this message, may your dependence on God grow stronger each day. Yes, well, it's nice to be with you. Nice to hear Carm sing. (laughs) Good to worship together. I'm not texting anybody. I'm just getting my clock ready. So I... I have great memories of this building. First time I ever came to the Boston area, Gene and I were traveling with Chi Alpha, and we had two very small children, a little infant and a little two-year-old. And we uh, stayed across the street in the pastor's home, John Prado. And it was my first experience, and it was such a profound experience, that visit to Boston, that just a short couple months later, we went back to Springfield, Missouri. We were working on a national level with Chi Alpha and resigned our position to move to Boston. So uh, this place has a real reference point to me. And since then, visited a number of times over uh, John Prado's leadership and John Barstow's, and and oftentimes I would come and study here and take a couple days to uh, be away, so I... I, but, the, but the memory I think that I, I uh, enjoy most is the day I got here a little early and uh, Brian and Rick Piccarello were coming to look at the building. <laughs> and, I said, and I thought, oh God, help them to see something, help them to see something here. And they did. And it is an amazing story that you are all a part of. And I'm so grateful just to be here and to see uh, all that God is doing. And of course, Brian has been a... Uh, it's a mutual friendship. I feel like when I'm with him, I learn, I learn a lot. I learn more about uh, serving God. I learn about how to execute the strategy of the kingdom, and I enjoy uh, growing together and journeying together. So, so that's that, and we're here. So, uh, I um, I grew up in church world. Uh, that just means I have no memory of not being in church. So I was a preacher's kid. Gene and I are both preacher's kids. That means we've heard so many sermons, that way more than we could ever assimilate into our life. Uh, but I cherish that, uh, that path. I cherish that history. It shaped me and who I am and what I am. And one of the things that happens when you grow up in a home like that, which is some of your experience, is that you, uh, you know when it's time to have dinner... Uh, you better pray. In fact, my mom scared the fire out of me because I knew that if I ate food that wasn't prayed for, it was like equivalent to poison. I mean, she, if I touched food, she said, what are you doing, you pagan? And I, I, I was like four years old. I was hungry. I didn't know any different. But, but what instilled in me was this deep kind of you dare not eat, have sustenance without pausing and uh, thanking God. So my whole life I've had this routine, but you know, the last several years, I, I, uh, I just ran out of creativity on how to pray for those dinner prayers. And, and yet I wanted something authentic. I, I, didn't want to take it, I didn't want to take it light. I, and so I, 
I really pray as genuine as I can when I gather on a meal. I thank God for friends and family and for food, and, and it's genuine. And it's not a sermon prayer. Some of you know those people that pray sermon prayers. And, and you know that you can actually have an appetizer in the middle of the prayer, and nobody will notice. And it's okay because it gets you through to finally get to the meal. It's like a holdover. Um, I'm not that. But I also know that... Um, that oftentimes I can thank God very easily for the big stuff, um, the healings and the, the restorations and the provisions and the, just the big stuff. Like I'm instantly thankful, but I skate over the top on just the fact that I took a breath in the last two minutes. I skate over the top that I, that I have friends and I have I have relationships and I have vision and I have things that just kind of take me through the rhythms of my day and I find that if I'm only praying for the big things that there's something that rises up inside of me that has to be has to be dealt with and and some of you are familiar with that some of you know what it is in fact right now I'm confident some of you this is like the first time you've just sat still and sat quiet in the last seven days you know, sometimes, in fact, I often said, and, and Dan will affirm this, you know, if you need to take, take a nap while I'm speaking and you're really tired, go ahead. I mean, I'll call you out, but go ahead. No, I won't, I won't call you out. But there is something like, you know, that rhythm of, of okay, I, but, but we can race through our busy work days, our busy family days, our, our ministry life, our our aspirations, and, and we can go on and on and, and not just pause to reference the very breath of God and the sustenance of God. And so when we do that, anxiety rises up. You ever been anxious and you're not even sure why? Or fearful? Like, why am I, why am I on edge? Or, or you're kind of running past things and you're not, you can't put your finger on it. Part of it is, is we've just convinced ourselves that we were in control of our world. That we ruled. Now we would never say that. Those of us that are Christ followers, because we would, we would just feel like we were going to get struck by lightning. But, but we could move along in such a way that it does depend on us. And so I go to something that's so familiar to many of you in the room. Uh, some call it the Lord's Prayer. Some call it the Disciples' Prayer. Some call it Jesus's Prayer. Those of you that come from a, a Catholic background would know it as the Our Father. And it's a, it's a wonderful prayer. And probably in my ministry life of 30, 40 years, I've preached many sermons on different elements of the prayer. And the prayer is found in a couple of places in Scripture, but I want to look in Matthew chapter 9 where it says, this is, then Jesus looked at them and said, this is how you should pray. Now that has always gotten my attention. I mean, if Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray, then I really don't have to wonder, how is it should I pray? And he says this, Here's how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I feel good. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as I say that, you, you like you rehearse that in your mind. Some of you are following along and saying, why is he doing that version of it? I know a different version. Of what, what you know, translation is he reading out of? Wait, he got that. But in the middle of that prayer is this one phrase, and that's all I'm going to talk to you for the next few moments. And it is this, and you know it, many of you know it. It says, give us today 
our daily bread. In the middle of this prayer, give us today our daily bread. And when I say that, you think of maybe lunch or breakfast or a particular meal that comes to mind. But when Jesus said this, his, his context, his crowd thought of something different. They thought about that story that their parents told them, that their parents said their parents told them, that their parents' parents' parents told them, that their history showed the story of their people in the desert, wandering, dependent on God and complaining, and suddenly God says, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. And it, and it literally says in the book of Exodus that he was going to rain down bread from heaven every day for them. Wouldn't last till the next day. They had to depend on him on a daily basis. So from the youngest age, those hearers of Jesus' words knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, give us today our daily bread. While us, we kind of think, I can take care of my own bread. I can get my own food. I can take care of my own self. But the heart of this, this particular phrase finds itself in an example of history that showed dependence on God. And so we look at this phrase and kind of break it up. Well, let me pray. God, take these moments together. Thank you for these men and women and this, this time. I know that what I'm about to say is really not going to be revolutionary and new to hardly anybody. Just refresh our hearts and mind, I pray. Quiet our hearts before you. Remind us of your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. And those that come today carrying a lot of stuff that they, they picked up and didn't need to carry, may in these moments feel the lightness of dependence on the creator of the universe. So we commit these moments to you with that expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. So the phrase says, give us. It starts by saying, I need to receive from God. Now, the opposite of give us is, I've got this. I've got the meal covered. I've got provision covered. I work. I make money. I pay the rent or I pay the mortgage. I create my way. I make my path. I push through with my personality and my resources and my gifts. I've got this. I don't need any give us. I'm sure none of you feel that way, but I have felt that way at times, especially when God didn't answer me the way I wanted him to. Isn't it odd that he doesn't always follow my agenda? that he, he actually has better timing and better provision. And so to pause and say, give us, says, I'm, I don't have this. I need your provision for my health, for my family, for my breath, for my work, for my ministry work, to care for my community. And a lack of of saying give us is a direct declaration that I can do it. And these words force us to acknowledge dependence on God. And then the next phrase, give us today. And we go right back into that wilderness moment that God rained down bread today. What does today look like? What does that mean? 
What's the holdover? Dallas Willard said it this way. Today I have God. He has all the provisions. Tomorrow, it'll be the same. <laughs> Today I have God, and he has all the provisions. And tomorrow, it'll be the same. That's the way I want to live. That's what I'm aiming at, to live. That my breath, that my provision, all come from God. Dallas Willard passed away just a couple years ago, and he died of pancreatic cancer. And he was near death. He was just a couple weeks away from death. And he was sitting, John Ortberg was sitting next to him, his friend. And he looked over at John, and he said, you know, John, I think when I die, I'm not going to even notice what happened. What does he mean by that? He so interacted with God for his breath, for his provision, that nothing was really going to change when this body ceased to work. My friend Dick Foe says, you know, eternity starts the day you give your life to Christ. Most of us think eternity starts when we die, and then we start eternal life. Dick would say, no, actually, I started eternity now. At some point, my body falls off. God is our breath and our sustenance and our strength. For today, because, as Dallas Willard would say, he holds all the provisions. And tomorrow, it'll be the same. Can you just, like if you rehearse that in your mind, can you just feel the lightness that comes? Now, I know, I know, I know all the arguments you're raising in your mind right now. You have no idea the financial trouble I'm in, Nick. You have no idea the relationship entanglement that I don't know how to get out of. You have no idea the illness that, that I'm facing or somebody's. Of course I don't. But God does. And he has all the provisions for today. And tomorrow, it will be the same. And then the last phrase, give us today our daily bread. Bread is a wonderful theme of Scripture. And I'm grateful for that. And I want to just step back and look at a couple stop-off points in the story of Jesus. And these points have always been friends to me. Um, I like bread. I'm Italian. <laughs> What's a meal without bread, right? <laughs> and I always think that when I, when I, when I look at the story of Jesus... It's as if bread was just the center of his thinking so often, probably culturally, but also as a demonstration of taking the, the spiritual and making it into an everyday way of thinking. So the first time we see this illustration is in John chapter 4, and Jesus is in the desert. He's there for 40 days, and he's going through this testing, and, and eventually the evil one comes and, and just says, Hey, you hungry? It's been a few weeks since you've eaten. See all these rocks? You have the power. You can turn these rocks into bread, warm bread, nice smelling bread. You can come up with a little butter. And, and Jesus responds to him and says, you don't understand. You know, carbohydrates are not the sustenance. Just putting flour and 
Yeast together are not everything. And then he says this statement in Matthew chapter 4. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, that the very sustenance of life are the truths of God that settle in time. Some of you know that. Some of you know as you've navigated through life and you've wrestled with things that it's that understanding of God's principles and God's word that have helped you guide through life. Jesus knew it wasn't bread alone. That if all you did was find life in bread, you wouldn't have much life. But the very words of life sustained him. So the first image we see, at least in the New Testament, we have many examples in the Old Testament, is this sustenance. The very sustenance of God is God's words. Second story is in John chapter 6. A bunch of people have been listening to Jesus, thousands of them, have been listening to Jesus speak all day long. At the end of the day, they haven't eaten, and now they would run, make a run on the city. It really wouldn't work. And so Jesus does what he often did. He used the opportunity to speak to his disciples and give them a, an opportunity to stretch their leadership skills. And he says, so we got a few thousand people here. None of them have any food. Let's see if you can solve this problem. And they're thinking, man, nobody makes enough money. Even if we went in the city, even if the food existed, how would we feed in there? They're going through the calculations, the problem solving, the way to effectively execute a game plan. And, and they come up with nothing. And then, then you know, one of the disciples sees a little boy who's backing away really slowly. He's got his lunch behind his back, and he's trying to run because he knows what's up. He's about to lose everything he's got. And, and you know, I don't know if Andrew ran him down, but he grabbed him, and he, and he overpowered him, and he took his lunch. Sounds like you know, on your way to school in a tough neighborhood. But he, he comes to Jesus and he holds up this. He said, well, here's what we got. See what you can do with this. You may not have said it that cavalier. And Jesus takes, he said, that'll do. He takes, he starts breaking that bread, starts filling up baskets. You know the story, some of you. Many people are fed. There's leftovers. And it's an amazing illustration of how God can take our little and make it much, which pretty much is everything we ever do. Anything less than that is not telling ourselves the truth. But then the next day, the crowd chases him down in another field on the other side of the lake. They find him, and he confronts them in the 26th verse, and he says, let me, let me tell you something. So you aren't looking for me because you saw signs that I performed. You came because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. He said, you're not here because you want spiritual truth or guidance. You're not here because you want transformation. You're here because you got a free lunch. And you know if you stick with me, you can get more free lunches. And then Jesus does what he always does. is He takes us where we're at and he helps us understand at a different level. And so he, he said, I'm, I'm not going to take a little boy's lunch and feed all of you again. But let me tell you what I am going to do. I am standing in front of you. I am the bread of life. You will never hunger again. They're going, what? Jesus understood the physical, but he also understood what really sustains us, to know God, to make him known, to walk close to Jesus. And so he describes bread as as himself. So now we go back to his prayer, give us today 
our daily bread. We think of the, the truths of God that sustain me. The person of God that walks with me. Give us today our daily bread. And then we come to this final meal with his friends that we just celebrated. They, they all know what's going on. It's a dark night before even darker next day. And they know Jesus is about to be executed. And they're sitting around with their friends. And some of you have had meals like this where it was so heavy. Everything in the room was heavy. And everybody knew that was about to come down was, was more than any of them could bear. And as they sat at that meal, I, I almost believe there was silence. And they were waiting for Jesus to say something, say anything. We know what's going down. You've told us it was going to go down. And he, he grabs a piece of bread. And, and they're looking. I mean, I don't know this for sure. But, but he took the bread and, and he broke it. And he said, you know what? Because they were uneasy. Their world was about to get flipped upside down. And he said, whenever you eat this bread, remember, my body's broken for you. So now they relax a little bit, and they have this conversation. And, and as Brian pointed out, at the end of the meal, he reaches over and glass, grabs the glass. And, and he says, man, whenever you drink this cup, remember, my blood is shed for you and the, for the redemption of man. And <laughs> here's a crazy thing. I was working this morning on a sermon I'm doing tonight, and I just like flipped over and jumped into it. So now i got to back up and figure out where I'm at. How's that for vulnerability? <laughs> Maybe it would work if I blended them together. So I think in this moment, <laughs> I could tell you more stories about that, but I won't. We have, we have made a sacrament, and I thank God that we have, because this has secured this ritual for all Christ followers. But you know what? In that original meal, I think Jesus said, every time you sit down at a table, before you take that first bite, remember my body is broken for you. And every time you reach across the table and you grab a glass, before you drink that glass, remember my blood is shed for you every single meal. Why? Because we're fickle. We start thinking it's about us. We start thinking we're our provision, we're our forgiveness, we're our strength. And Jesus said, no, 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 give us today our daily bread. It's like this routine. He doesn't want a religious routine that's only one time a week. He doesn't want a religious routine that we put it out and we, we punch our time clock. We do. He wants this very breath of life, the very bread of life to be who we are. And so he, he shares in this final meal, take this bread and give thanks. This is my body. And then the last story is one of my favorite. I've I shared this story probably a hundred times. My favorite time to share it was on the Sea of Galilee with a bunch of my friends. And it's, that, it's after Jesus was cruci- terribly executed, and then he rose again, and he came to see his friends, and then he disappeared, and he came to see him again, and then he disappeared, and now he's gone. And the disciples are sitting around, and they don't know what to do, and and they're not sure how they're supposed to change the world. And they're not sure how they're supposed to do this without Jesus with them every day. And they're, they're, they're confused. And so they did what all of us always do. And we're not sure what to do. We go to what's familiar. And what was familiar to them was fishing. And so they go fishing. They fish all night and they catch nothing. And as they're coming up on the shore, there's this guy standing on the shore that says they couldn't recognize him. Maybe it was the fog. Maybe it was, his, his, you know, he had his robe over his head. I don't know. 
And he yells out, he cups his hand, and he yells out, he says, hey, fellas, did you catch any fish? Which is one thing a fisherman never wants to hear after they fished all night and caught nothing. And they said, we don't have, no, we don't have you know, voice inflection in the scripture. But they said, no. I think they probably yelled, no, none of your business. No, we didn't catch anything. What do you care? They didn't say those things, but I think they felt them. So now not only can they not change the world, they can't even, play, they can't even catch fish anymore. So they're at a very low, low point. You said, well, throw the net out on the other side of the boat. And so they do, and they catch a lot of fish. And Peter's in the boat, and he goes, wow, this is so familiar. He said, I know who that is. And he literally jumps out of the boat and starts running through the water. But here's what happens when the disciples come up on shore. Jesus is sitting by a fire. It's one of the most beautiful pictures, I think, in the entire New Testament. He had all the reason to say to them, hey, Peter. It's morning again. Heard any roosters crow lately? Or he could say, hey, you know, I sent you guys out to change the world, and now all you can do is go fishing? He didn't say any of those things. You know what he did? He made breakfast. And he had this beautiful loaf of bread that smelled. You know, you know I mean, there's nothing like fresh bread smell, right? If we could pipe it in right now, you would really get the point. <laughs> And he hands them this bread. And when he did that, their lives, their relationship were restored. And he even goes through a restoration of Peter, saying, Peter, we're still in the game here. I know you messed up, but we're still got, we, we, this is too big. This is bigger than you. You need to feed my sheep. And it's this amazing moment of restoration. And so when I think about give us today our daily bread, I think about the sustenance that could happen by the words of God that give life. I think, I think about the you know, the very bread of life that I'll never hunger again. Most of us are just jerked around through most of our life hungering for something. Even as Christ followers, we're not, we can't see quite clearly and we're still trying to, and Jesus would say, you don't have to ever hunger again. Come to me. And then he sits around that table and he says, I know you're going to fail, but remember my body was broken for you. I know you're going to sin, but remember my blood was shed for you. You can be made whole. Your history doesn't hold a stranglehold on your future ever. And then he sits with those disciples and said, have some bread. we got to change the world together. And I don't know where you're at, but I know what happens with me. And when I don't have that daily sense of dependence on God, because see, basically what, what Jesus is saying when he says, give us today our daily bread, is you need to live a life completely dependent on God. Mother Teresa said it this way. (sighs) You don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. You don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. And some of you have the gift of knowing that. You've maybe faced death because of an illness or an accident or someone very near to you, and you realize every breath is a gift, every day is a gift. Those of us that maybe have not faced that, we just assume we're going to have another day, another week, another month, another year. We just assume we're going to be able to accomplish whatever it is we want to accomplish. But those who have had death come close, suddenly they realize when Jesus is all they've got, they realize he's really all they needed. And I find that it's a gift. And so Jesus would say, pray, give us this day 
our daily bread. And what happens when that happens? His joy begins to rise and confidence begins to rise and peace begins to rise. Anxiety begins to, to, to weaken. Fear begins to not have as much. I'm not saying they disappear. We live in tension. This side of heaven, we live in tension, right? But they begin to subside because I say, wait a minute, my breath, my life, my sustenance, my purpose is found in Jesus, the words of God, the redemption of God, and the provision of God. And so I pray this simple prayer, sometimes over meals, sometimes before I hit the ground, give us this day our daily bread. I'd like the worship team to come back, and I'm going to pray a prayer over you. And it's, uh, it's not a complicated prayer. And it's not even fancy. I mean, it, it, it's not even full of King James words. It's just a prayer. And uh, I want to pray this prayer. <laughs> Didn't mean to dodge out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get out of the way. Yeah. And I want to pray this prayer over you. But, but after we pray this prayer, we're going to just take a moment. I'm just giving you the heads up. I'm going to pray this prayer. And then I want you to think about the stuff that, the stuff that, you're depending on, whether it's work or health or relationships, all in order. And then we'll pray the prayer. And uh, I want you to just sense God's, God's delight. And so when I pray, give us, I'm confessing, I don't got this handled. I'm dependent on God. And then our, the worship team is just going to lead us into a declaration of our dependence on God. So if you'd stand together with me, and I understand some of you might be here today and you're not a Christ follower. Someone just brought you here. They tricked you and said, we'll take you out to lunch if you come or your mother guilted you into coming and so you're here. Or, or you just came in as a, I just wanted to check it out. I walked by. And if you're here, I just hope you saw a picture of Jesus and in this moment that you'd open up your heart and say, what is it like to live that way? Those of you that have follow Christ your whole life the entanglements still come on in and we have to be reminded <laughs> he is our breath and he is our bread let me pray this prayer all right you ready I'm gonna pray this prayer over you here we go give us today our daily bread now I want to pray it again but before I do I want you to think about the things you carried in here today that were really heavy. Big decision, waiting for a diagnosis, a fearful tomorrow. Some might be success. And I just want you to think about those things and how they weigh on you. And let me pray this prayer over you again. You ready? Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. God, the bread that sustains, the bread that redeems, the bread that fulfills, the bread that reconciles. Give us today our daily bread. And I pray that through the next days, we'll be reminded of the simple phrase that Jesus taught us that this is how we're supposed to pray, to affirm our dependence 
Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.